Well, you may be seated and you may cuddle up if you want, if it's cold in here. You know, Matthew 5, 45, the, the, the reference that I had for those of you who were here a little early was that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And anytime it wants to. But as if this were a sermon illustration tonight, we're talking about what it costs to be a Christian. So could just be a little pre-sermon illustration there. What we're doing tonight, as you can see, is concentrating on communion. And the, the natural thing for a sacrament to do is to complete the sermon. Uh, because it is then the, becomes the physical fulfillment of the spoken word. Tonight, we're going to be talking about what it costs to distribute your life. That is the symbolism of what communion is. What it cost Christ to love us like he did. But we want you to know that it wasn't just on the cross that that, crossed, uh, that, that that cost Christ. It cost him all his life, just as it will cost us all our lives if we love and live like Jesus did. But watch this. This will help us focus. Even before the dawn, I noticed him. He was a young man, strong, handsome, walking the back alleys of our town. And behind him, he pulled an old cart filled with clothes, bright and new. He had a clear, tenor voice. And as he walked, he cried out, Rags! New rags for old! Rags! He was a big man, six foot three, with arms as big as tree limbs. And his eyes flashed intelligence. My curiosity drove me. I followed him. woman sitting sobbing on her porch into a handkerchief her shoulders shook her heart was breaking she had shed a thousand tears the ragman walked up to the woman give me your rag he said he slipped the handkerchief from her eyes and replaced it with a linen cloth so clean so pure that it shined. As he left her, he lifted the handkerchief to his eyes and began to weep. His shoulders shook. The woman was left without a tear. 
came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage, whose eyes were empty. Blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. Give me your rag and I'll give you mine. He drew a lovely yellow bonnet from his cart. He removed the blood-soaked bandage and placed it on his own head. The bonnet he set on hers. And with the bonnet went the wound. As he turned to go, I saw it. A single line of blood ran down his cheek. followed him. I watched as he exchanged coats with a man who had but one arm. As he slipped the coat on, he was the one with the missing limb. The man had been restored. I watched him take a blanket from a man lying drunk and unconscious in the park. He left the man new clothes. I wept to see the change in the ragman. He was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely from the forehead. Yet he went on, stumbling from drunkenness. With one arm, he pulled the cart. He was old, old and sick. He came to a landfill, a garbage pit. He lay down. He covered his bones with a blanket. And he died. How I cried to witness that death. I sobbed myself to sleep. I was awakened by a light, pure, hard, demanding, and there he was the ragman. No sign of sorrow or age. Trembling, I approached him. With shame, I told him my name. I removed my clothes and said, Dress me. He did. He put new rags on me, and I am a wonder beside him. The rag man 
the ragman, the Christ. Jesus, it cost you dearly to love us like you did. It hurt you, literally, to love us. You were wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. But by your stripes, we're healed. Lord, make us well enough to go love like that, even though it hurts, even though it costs because we want to live like you. We want to be like you so that people can come to you. We pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to talk about mentoring love. And just as last week we learned that sacred knowledge is really not about how much information you have about God. And sacred knowledge is not really about any kind of of, of or limited to any kind of cognitive learning, sacred knowledge is more about having the life of God in us so that we can see God move. So too, when we talk about mentoring, many people are confused about what mentoring is, and therefore they don't do it because they feel like they don't know enough. Mentoring is not sitting down with someone and teaching them everything you know. Mentoring 
takes place when you give your life to someone and they not only partake of what they discern you know, but they partake of who you are. You see, the sacrifice of Christ did not just come on the cross suddenly as if there was one time he gave himself for us. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross was the cumulative pattern of his life where he loved to the degree every day and he subtracted his life every day as he gave it to those around him. And he called them disciples and he called them apostles. If you will turn to Luke chapter 6, let's see a pattern that Jesus set And he said it not only in his life, but he said it in the universe. This is the interesting thing because because many are now just discovering this and they think they found something new. It's quite amusing. Starting in verse 12, it says this. Luke Luke, uh, 6, verse 12 says this. And it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Now you know something significant is about to happen. When Jesus spends the whole night in prayer, you know something's up. And so it prepares us for the magnitude of what it says in verse 13. And when day came, he called his disciples to him. Now, disciple in Greek, the etymology of the word uh, plays with with the, the connotation of mind and man. Therefore, it is not only some man or some person who has made their mind up. But it's some person who is learning from a person. But watch this. It not only means learner. It's learning in such a way that you are an adherent. You know what an adherent is, don't you? You stick to the person. Therefore, the disciple is not just a learner in the way that he imbibes of information. He partakes of a life. He, he takes into himself a life. You, by the way, have disciples. There are people who not only learn from you, they stick to you. And they partake of your life. So everyone is learned from. Most people have disciples. Now, But why? he doesn't stop there. Watch what he does. And chose 12 of them whom he also named as apostles. Now let's, let's look at what that word means for a minute because this is extremely significant. Apostello means one cent. One cent. From the very beginning, Christ knew that a movement would not be complete simply by those who learned from him. Simply by those who stuck to him. The movement would not be complete until they were sent into the external world. That's the completion of the movement. Apostle, in the classic Greek, means envoy. It's one sent from a sovereign or a nation. It means ambassador. And so intentionally, this one represents one greater than himself. Now let's look for a moment at the dynamic and how that applies to our life, how it applies to the world. And what that says about the kind of life we need to live if we are to fulfill our mission down here. 
In the first place, it's being noted now in the business world that you will not succeed in business by trying to become a better company on your own. Success in business these days requires open communication with others. The latest issue of Forbes magazine, I love to read uh, uh, business magazines as well as all other magazines, but, but business magazines are interesting to me. It contains an article by Peter Drucker. I read everything Peter Drucker writes. He's so wise. He's so sharp. And Peter Drucker says this in this article, everything I learned I, I was wrong. Uh, about management. Now, this is the world management guru here. And what Peter Drucker learned growing up uh, into the field was that management was about the arrangement of internal resources so that you could produce a product for out there. But what Peter Drucker says now is management is not internal. Management is external. That is to say, the companies that succeed in the future will be the companies that have relationships and partnerships with other companies, both like them and unlike them. That is the criteria for success in business today. He says those monopolies that we thought would always stand have slowly one by one failed because they have concentrated their efforts inward and they thought that their strength was size. There is another article in this particular issue of Forbes magazine, one by Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell is a brilliant black professor at Stanford University. He works with the Hoover Institute, and he's written several books that have to do with the contribution of ethnic people groups to world civilizations. And he has written in this article that it is his observation that um, <clears throat> there has been no significant addition to the advancement of the civilization of the world by any nation that was isolated. There has been no significant contribution to the advancement of the civilization of the world by any nation that was isolated. Now he goes on to write in the article that there are some natural reasons for isolation, your geography, uh, that the most advanced civilizations uh, had the most waterways uh, and, and uh, the, the greatest number of fleets for, for exchange of ideas and goods with other peoples. He said you can go into any nation that has, been, uh, uh, that has had a natural barrier uh, and its advancement is significantly stunted uh, over the advancement of other nations. Mountain nations, mountain peoples are significantly behind um, um, plains peoples because their exchange with the outside world is not as great and therefore um, um, they are held back in their development. He gives an example that was interesting to me. He said centuries ago the leading civilization in all the world was the Chinese civilization. It, it had the most advanced technology, it had the most advanced uh, medicine, it had the most advanced, it was most advanced in sciences, um, um, in, in goods produced, in, in, uh, in, in politics, um, in, in social relations. But there came a time in the life of China when they made a political decision 
through their xenophobia, their fear of outsiders, they decided that they would cut themselves off from the rest of the world, and they uh, would con- be contained within themselves. At somewhat the same time, Europe, another continent, decided that they would take just the opposite tact and that they would disperse their people to explore the various parts of the world and open up relations with the various peoples of the world. And you could see, Sowell says, the inversion of the leadership of those two continents. China continued to be less and less advanced, and Europe became the leader of the known world at that time. Why? Because of the biblical principle that says, in order to be complete, you must be sent. You must go out. You must have relations with those where you may be vulnerable, you may be hurt, and it will certainly cost. But ultimately, that's how you advance. You biologists know in the plant world that same thing is true. There are basically two ways to um, uh, duplicate or replicate a plant by by the uh, pollinization process. The first way is called selfing. That is, various plants have the capability to pollinate themselves and reproduce on their own. Now, that's all fine and good, and it works, but a plant that does that is is, is driving into an evolutionary cul-de-sac because there is a limited system of immunity in a plant like that. There is no additional immunity. And the diseases that come to plants will kill those plants first. By contrast, those plants that are fertilized by cross-pollinization, bees, wind, whatever, take into themselves a new or varied um, immune system. And they are not as vulnerable to disease. And they are much Hardier stock. Now, what does all of this mean to us? What does it mean to us as a church? You know perfectly well what it means as a church. In order to add something significant to the world, we've got to be distributed. We can't fool ourselves into thinking, well, we got this little nice thing going on. And so, therefore, we just, we got to, we got to get our skit together, maybe someday go out there. Uh, I hear that over and over again. Listen, if Satan has a plan, and I know he does, high on that plan is this. Keep the churches isolated from one another. Keep those churches alone. Keep those churches thinking they're the center of the universe. Keep those churches busy with their own insignificant problems. What color of carpet to put where? And make that some big deal. Because as long as you can keep them preoccupied with their own problems, they'll never advance. They will always be impotent. No. There is a principle in Scripture. From the very beginning of the ministry of Christ, he said, we must send. We must send. We must have as our objective relationships with the outside world. What does this mean for you as individuals? It means that if you want to grow, if you want to become accomplished, if you want to be fulfilled... You really just can't mind your own business. You've got to have relationships with other people. 
And that's where mentoring comes in. Because when you try to help other people, when you give your life to other people, not just teaching other people what you know, but you take on all that they are. And when you take on all that they are, you take on problems. How many of you know by now that love means hurt? That love means that what you get from that other person is not just gratification. It's their problems. It's their insecurities. It's their, it's their barriers. That You take all of that on. Like the rag man. Those become yours. Those become yours. But you were designed to be sent. You were designed to have disciples. You were designed to mentor people because they need what you have and you need to give it. That's how we were designed. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that out of the people who kind of are naturally in our group, we just pick a few who are the most like us so that we can replicate our own personalities and therefore send our personalities on down the generations? Well, we, they, they will become, people will become a little bit more like you as they hang around you. It's a, we're naturally imitative creatures. But Jesus, I want to tell you, did not pick out people like him. <laughs> Look at the apostles. This is not what he did. As a matter of fact, he didn't even pick out people who were like each other. If you, if you study the lives of the apostles, you'll have this question. How did these guys keep from killing one another? <laughs> they were so different. Their only point of unity was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only focus that will make a relationship last and have meaning forever. Beyond that, though, I want you to see the strategy of Christ. The strategy of Christ was to pick out people who were different to give his life to. To not like him. Why? Because they would go into areas he would never fit and that would never come to him. As you are choosing who you want to pour your life into, choose people who are not like you. Choose people who you think are a little weird, but they've got all the potential in the world. Choose people. <laughs> They're starting to pat each other. Okay. <laughs> You're doing it right then. Choose people who have a different perspective than you do. You know why? Because we're put down here for one task. And if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear, hear this. We are put down here to give the life of Jesus Christ into this world. That's our task. It's not to get people to like us. It's not to get people to agree with us. It's not to have fun. It's not to have fellowship. It's not to feel warm. It's to give the life of Jesus Christ into this world. And when you strategize how that's done, that's best done by mentoring people who will go places you'll never go and be with people you'll never be with. It's about getting results. I heard a story uh, a long time ago, it was a true story, about the man who was in charge of building the Panama Canal. His name was George Washington Gothels. <laughs> what kind of name? That's a name for you. But he had to fight his way through elementary school. George Washington Gothels. And, and, and when he was down there building this uh, Panama Canal, it, this was a very unpopular project. 
in the United States. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, there were people criticizing him all day long in the nation. And they were saying, this is a stupid project and you'll never complete it. Well, he had major problems down there with the climate and the bugs anyhow. But his major problem was the criticism came from the United States. And one day somebody came to him. And they said, aren't you, he said, aren't you going to answer that criticism? And Gothos looked at him and said, yeah, I am. And they said, well, when? And he said, in time. And the guys pursued it. And he said, well, when in time? He said, when the canal is done. You see, what answers criticism is results. Our job is results. Our job isn't to gain approval. Our job is results. And so, therefore, this is not about the furthering of a personality cult. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first part of that, he said he got so frustrated because, because the people <clears throat> were dividing up and saying, well, I'm Apollos, I'm Paul, these are my main guys, you know. And, and Paul wrote back and said, what's up with that? You're still so much in the flesh that you don't understand. This is about God. This is not, not about who follows who. This is about God. Paulus planted, I watered, but God gives the growth. He's the important one here. So that's very important to note. But watch this. I want you to hold in counterbalance this principle. Who you are as a unique person of God is very important in the formula. You know, I hear people, <clears throat> because of the growth of this church, uh, say uh, uh, all the time, well, you're just following a man, you know, and it's very immature. And so, therefore, if you, if you like one preacher over the next one, that means you're not focused on Christ. That means that you just are not a mature Christian. What, what planet are you from when you say that? I mean, do you not like some people better than others in your life? Is that not a natural thing? You've got a chemistry with some people you don't have with other people? Of course it is. When you go to a counselor, don't you want to go to one you have, you, you have chemistry with uh, in addition to the one who can give you some helpful answers? All of our lives we choose on the basis of who, with whom we have a, a natural affinity and a natural connection. That's, that's okay. That's not only okay, that's how God planned it. And so don't be ashamed of somebody who has a connection with you and who says, you know, when I hang out with you, I see God better than when I hang out with other people. Nothing against other people. It's just something about this chemistry thing here. It's something about this connection. It may not have anything to do with who's the most schooled in God or who's the holiest in God. It may not have anything. It may have to do with, with well, I was out the other night. Becky and I were out the other night. And, and, and uh, um, um, we were out at uh, starting a new ministry center in uh, West Volusia County, Orange City. And, and there's, over, there's over 200 people just at this kickoff thing to start a new ministry center in, in Volusia County. And so we, we, we were speaking, and then afterwards we, 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 uh, uh, we were uh, uh, meeting people who loved that, just kind of shaking hands and making conversation. And this one woman comes up, and she said to me, she said, you know, I am so glad that you uh, mentioned uh, that your father died when you were four years old. I said, really, why? And she pulled this little boy out, four years old. She said, because his father died when he was four years old. I looked at him, I said, well, that makes us just alike, doesn't it? He looked at me and said, yeah, it does. There was a, there was a connection there. Now, this didn't have to do with my being a Christian leader. This had to do with our fathers died when we were four. We're bonded together. And if God uses that 
to bring this little boy to imprint on me into the kingdom. Great. That's fine. I mean, because if he gets me, he's going to get Jesus because that's who lives inside me. And you've got to realize you've been given the life you have so that some people can connect in some of the places. When they get you, they get Jesus. God uses your connections. God uses your, your uniqueness. Paul went on from 1 Corinthians 3 to 1 Corinthians 11 where he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, he used his personal relationship for that mentoring process for the people to whom he would give his life. Now let me just say a word about how important it is that you choose people in your life that you're going to stick with and that you're going to pour your life into. It's, 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 it's the way that God gives other people perspective. Do you realize that every one of you are at a stage right now where somebody else is going to be and those that are hanging around you who are just behind you are looking real closely at you. They're looking way closer at you than they are of somebody who are two, are two stages up because they want to see how it's going to be at that, at that stage. Those of you who are 16, do you realize 13-year-olds look at you so closely? They want to know what, how to act. They want to know what it's like at that age. Those of you who are middle management, people just coming into the company, watch you. Because that's the next thing they may, they may be. And so they keep their eye on you. Every one of you is at a stage where somebody around you wants to be someday. Or feels like they're going to be someday. You know what they need? They need encouragement. They need your perspective. Because half of them are afraid of going there. Half of them are afraid of being that. They want it, but they're afraid of it. They don't think they can handle it. And they need for you to say, I can do all things through Christ. And so can you. You can handle it. I read a great uh, book a few weeks ago. Cap Spence gave me this uh, book, uh, Tuesdays with Maury. Anybody read this? It's great. It's about, uh, it's about a mentoring relationship between a college professor and a former student. After years of being out of college, this former student contacts the professor. The professor has just learned that he has contracted Lou Gehrig's disease. Now, for those of you who don't know uh, what that is, that is a disease of muscular degeneration uh, that, is, uh, that, that is incrementally progressive until finally the muscles won't work at all and the, and the person, as with Maury, uh, suffocates uh, because the muscles in the lungs don't work anymore. During this time, this former student wanted to be mentored by this man who was dying. This man, this former student who was all about business, knew instinctively there were lessons that were larger than business lessons, lessons about life that he needed to have, and who better to get them from than this lovable former professor who now, because of his impending death, was understanding what was really valuable in life. And so he went every Tuesday, and they spent the whole day together. And Maury gave him a perspective. His name was Mitch. Maury gave Mitch a perspective. They didn't have. For example, Mitch was all bent out of shape about getting 40. I don't know how many of you are about to get 40 and you're getting bent out of shape about it. Because that, you get, oh, getting old. Don't go there. Getting old. And you're, you know, 
Well, Maury had a different perspective, the book says. See, Maury was 60s or 70, and, and so he had a different perspective. Listen to what Maury says. All this emphasis on youth. I don't buy it. Listen, I know what a misery being young can be. So don't tell me it's so great. How many of you remember how lousy it was to be young? I mean, what, do you remember? Who for a million dollars would go back to their middle school years? Are you kidding me? It was horrible. I mean, you're talking about giant insecurities, huge. Sorry for you middle schoolers here, but we want to identify, <laughs> identify with your pain. And I want to tell you, it gets better from here. It really does. It goes up from here. But who, I mean, everybody talks about being young. Who would want to go? So anyhow, he said, that's what Maury's saying. He said, so all these kids who came to me, remember he was a teacher, with their struggles and their strife and their feelings of inadequacy and their sense that life was miserable, so bad they wanted to kill themselves. And in addition to all the miseries, the young are not wise. <laughs> he says, they have very little understanding about life. Who wants to live every day when you don't know what's going on? <laughs> Most of us live that way. When you don't know what's going on. He says, when people are manipulating you, telling you to buy this perfume and you'll be beautiful, or this pair of jeans and you'll be sexy, and you believe them, he says, it's nonsense. And then Mitch says this, weren't you, weren't you ever afraid to grow old? He said, Mitch, I embrace aging. Embrace it, Mitch said. Maury says, it's very simple. As you grow, you learn more. If you stayed at 22, you'd always be as ignorant as you were at 22. <laughs> Again, no offense to the 22-year-olds, but this is a 70-year-old guy, you know. Then he says this, very significant. Listen to these few sentences. Aging is not just decay. You know, it is decay. 50, it's okay to be 50, but your body slows. It's okay. It's not just decay, though. You know, it's growth. It's more than the negative that you're going to die. It's also the positive that you understand you're going to die and that you live a better life because of it. Isn't that a great perspective? Do you know what? All of you have that kind of valuable perspective that you can share with somebody else, that kind of life that you can share with somebody else, that kind of faith that you can share with someone else. And so here's what we're asking of the night, that you would sign up to distribute your life in bits and pieces it will cost. Of course it will cost. But it's how Jesus lived. And it's our privilege to be called. Now, before I consecrate the elements and we partake of the sacrament, let me explain to you what we're doing tonight. First of all, let me call the servers forward and ask you to get in place. The pastors and elders, would you please come uh, and take your position? We're going to do, as you can see, communion differently than we have before. We're going to ask you to come forward if you can. If you can't, we'll come out and serve you. But we're going to ask you to come forward, and we're doing it for this reason. When we give a sermon on mentoring, it means so much when someone can personally tell you, you hear a voice 
to, directed to you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. It's, it's not that there's anything wrong with this distributing the elements. But periodically we need to get out of our comfort zone. And I know this is going to be, especially for the Baptists. We have a couple of Baptists on the worship team. They go, oh, we're Baptists. We don't do that. You know, <laughs> Those of you who are old Methodists or Presbyterian or Catholics, you know, you come down all the time. It's, you know, this is, this is going to seem natural. But the Baptists are going, oh, I don't know about this. But, it's, but it's, it's good to get out of your comfort zone and to come down and to kneel down and hear a personal word. And so you will be directed by the ushers, row by row, from the front going back. You will come down on the side aisles. You will come and fill the tables um, wherever you can, wherever there's a spot, because there's going to be people partaking of communion and leaving immediately. And that's the other thing. As you get the elements, go ahead and partake immediately. And then get up and go back to your seat so that others can have that spot and you can continue to worship and pray. But as you come, you're going to be partaking and then you're going to be going back through the center aisle. Please be, uh, feel free to leave your cups on the table. We have acolytes to assist there. But as these pastors and elders are giving you communion, we want you to understand that this is giving you the life of Christ. This is giving you that mysterious uh, nature of God so that you can share your life with someone else. Now, communion, as always, is for the followers of Jesus Christ. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, but you want to be, we have people who will pray for you uh, on the sides near the speakers there. If you want to accept Christ tonight as your Savior, they will lead you to the throne. You can accept Christ. And you can have as your first act as a Christian the partaking of communion. Some of you are Christians, but there's something in your life that if you took communion tonight, you would not be partaking in a worthy manner. Uh, but you do want to pray with somebody about that. Help pray for repentance or help pray uh, through a problem. They'd be glad to do that. Anytime during this communion, you can come and you can pray with those folks. And there are some of you who are in neither of those categories. You don't want to come up and you don't want to go pray. That's okay. You stay where you are and you worship as best you can. Now, pray with me as I consecrate the elements and we proceed with the sacrament. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please Thee in newness of life, to the honor and glory of Thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who in the same night that He was betrayed, took bread, and after He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is My body which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of this, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as oft as ye shall drink it in remembrance of me. Amen.